I'm going to take a bit of a risk on the program this week because we're going to be talking about the Obamacare rollout. And whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Independent, maybe you don't even live in America, I think you're going to want to hear this because this whole issue might just include you in ways you didn't even consider. And don't worry, I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to question who you voted for or who you didn't vote for. I'm just going to ask some good questions about human nature and some of the consequences that come from our worst assumptions. So stick around. I'll be right back. At this point, America is well underway with a new law known as the Affordable Care Act, and it is the law of the land. And given the fact that health care represents one-sixth of the American economy, this is a law that's affecting absolutely everybody. Some Americans are getting health care for the first time in their lives, while other people are losing the health care they wanted and getting stuck with something they didn't want. And because your health and your pocketbook are two issues that are deeply personal, deeply emotional, you probably have some distinct feelings about the impact Obamacare is having. And to be honest, I've got some pretty powerful emotions about the new health care law myself, especially having been born in Canada and having grown up under a type of socialized medicine. But at the head of this program, I promised you that we're not going to debate the merits or the demerits of this new health care plan because there are lots of other places to do that. All you have to do is just go on Twitter or some major news network for a few minutes. You will find lots of people with strong feelings one way or the other. What I want to look at is the whole issue from a purely human perspective to see what we can learn about ethics and morality and human behavior and human nature in general. I want to look at the way we govern ourselves and some of the decisions we make as a civilization. And, of course, I also want to see what the Bible says about it. So... Let's begin with a really famous soundbite, which might just be the most memorable moment in this whole healthcare debate, when millions of people suddenly discovered that the healthcare law didn't just affect people who had no insurance, it also had some pretty serious ramifications for people who did have it. And of course, I am talking about that famous statement the president made all the way back in 2009 at the AMA. He said it on June 15. And now I'm going to quote the president. I, I guess I could have gone and gotten a soundbite and played it for you, but instead I'll do my very best to impersonate President Barack Obama. And you'll notice that he sounds exactly like me. But here's what he said. Quote, I know there are millions of Americans who are content with their health care coverage. They like their plan, and most importantly, they value their relationship with their doctor. They trust you. And that means that no matter how we reform health care, we will keep this promise to the American people. And now here comes the famous part. I continue to quote, If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor, period. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan, period. No one will take it away, no matter what. Now, of course that became famous because it wasn't true. The president was a little too emphatic in that promise because as we rolled into the end of 2013, millions of Americans suddenly got letters from their insurance companies telling them they couldn't keep their plan. And in 2014, more Americans suddenly discovered that their doctors didn't want the new health care plan or some of the doctors even stopped taking insurance altogether. Some of them went into concierge practices or a cash-only practice or something that just removed all the paperwork and the problems of changing. So it turns out you actually could lose your doctor or your insurance. Now, 
this president is hardly the first one to make a mistake, and he's hardly the first one to stretch the truth or make an overly ambitious promise. And needless to say, his credibility and popularity did take a bit of a beating at the end of 2013, and people's confidence in human government went down a notch or two. And that's after they lost a lot of confidence in the House and the Senate also. But that's not really the amazing thing. I mean, popularity comes and goes. Popularity is always really high after an election, and then it drops. What's amazing is the way people get all revved up at election time, and they become absolutely certain, or mostly certain, that this time, this new president, this new Congress, is really going to make a difference. This time, we will achieve utopia. This time, things will change. This will be the time when we finally solve all the world's problems. And then... Like clockwork, two years later, four years later, six years later, we realize this administration, this House of Representatives, this Congress, it's just as faulty as the last one. And then we're disappointed. So what do we do? We call another election. We go back to the polls, sometimes in record low numbers because voting starts to feel futile. And then we get all excited because we elect another new person. And this time it's all going to be different. And even if you live somewhere else, Canada, Europe, South America, you know what happens in your country, too. Every time we tell ourselves it's going to be different. And then it's not. And somewhere underneath all the excitement, you know that. You know you're going to be disappointed eventually. So let's do a little bit of thinking in the wake of another political disappointment. Let's think about the way we structure our civilization. What can we actually learn about human nature? Well, for one thing, we need to remember that human government is just that. It's human government. And you can't wait for people to fix everything that's wrong in your life. People have been waiting on government to make life better for thousands of years. And for thousands of years, it didn't happen. The biggest problems we faced all the way back in history are still the biggest problems we face today. People get sick, people go broke, people commit crimes, people suffer injustice, people still die. When it comes to the really big stuff in life, we haven't solved a thing. So, frankly, if you've been naively waiting for government to make your life better, it might be time to rethink that strategy. I mean, just think about the people who run our government. They are just as faulty, just as selfish, just as prone to mistakes as you. And if you really thought about that a lot, you might never get another moment's sleep, probably all terrified that regular human beings are given so much power over so much money and over so many lives. These are people who also come to work groggy, just like you. These are people who make quick decisions because they're angry or because they have a headache, just like you. These are people who dig in their heels on stupid issues because of pride, just like you. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect minds. We are always governed by people who couldn't possibly do a perfect job. And it doesn't matter how much education or how much experience they have, they're still just human beings. I think it was William F. Buckley who said, I would rather be governed by the first 2,000 names in the Boston phone book than by the 2,000 people on the faculty of Harvard. Now, of course, that was a conservative taking a pot shot at Harvard, but he does raise an interesting point. The people who govern us are human. They are guaranteed to make some pretty big mistakes. And you can't help but wonder, sometimes, if it really matters who you elect. Now look, I'm not saying this to be negative. I'm saying it to be real. I would be scared if I were running the government, because I know my limitations. 
And, and I know that somebody has to do it, and we have to exercise a level of faith. But I want to be real. Human government will let you down. It is going to fail every single time. And what I think is absolutely fascinating is how shocked everybody seems to be when the government lets them down. We're shocked when a president can't keep his promise or won't do it. We seem surprised when Congress brings us to the edge of another fiscal cliff and people dig in and won't budge from either side. And we get out all out of sorts when people lie to get something done. And I'm glad we do get upset because lying is lying. But should we be surprised? I mean, let me ask you, what did you really expect? If those of us who grew up with Western civilization were paying attention to the advice given in the Old Testament, this wouldn't surprise us at all, because Israel was explicitly told what would happen if they moved away from God's direct leadership and trusted human government instead. Now, don't misunderstand where I'm going with this. I'm absolutely not advocating for a theocracy. I am not suggesting that we blur the lines between church and state. Not at all. I believe with all my heart that's an unhealthy mix. And I know that some Christians will disagree with me, but I think the separation is healthy. It needs to be there. It doesn't mean we're godless. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're out of control. But look at the results every single time we've tried it in history. I mean, do you want my faith tradition to set the agenda by law, or should it be yours? Or should it be whatever religion gains majority status? Maybe Muslim, maybe atheist, maybe Hinduism, whatever it is. It has never worked. We are not the children of Israel on our way from Egypt to Canaan, so I am not suggesting an American theocracy. No way. The Dark Ages convinced me that's a bad idea. But I am suggesting that maybe it's time to take another look at the ancient wisdom of the people who went before us. Because as it turns out, they tried to tell us what to expect. Now, I'm going to take a short break because it's time for one of those. And there is something I want you to hear. I want to give you a chance to become part of our worldwide Discover Bible class. So I'm going to take a moment for that. And then I'll be right back to show you what Israel found out thousands of years ago. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Where is God when people suffer? Can I find real happiness? And is there any hope for our chaotic world? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or pick up the phone and call us at 888-456-7922 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free lessons mailed right to your home. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Okay, we're back from the break, and today we're talking about human government and our continuing profound disappointment with it. And we're digging back in history to a moment when our forefathers were told what to expect if they subjected themselves to human rulership. I want you to listen to this. This comes from the book of First Samuel. The prophet Samuel at this point of our story has been a powerful leader in the nation of Israel, but now he's getting old and the people are worried about what will happen when he dies. Who's going to lead the nation? Where are they going to get advice? Who's going to show them how to live? So the people look at the nations around them, the Canaanites, who have tribal kings, and they're starting to think that they might want a human government too. So let's pick up the story now, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. 
Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now, before I keep going with this passage, I want you to notice that this wise old man sense is a problem. And again, I am not suggesting an American theocracy because I don't believe that's actually a biblical solution for the problems we have in the 21st century. And I I think history has proven since the days of the Roman Empire that man-made theocracies actually create more problems than they solve. But I guess that would be a topic for another day. For now, what I want you to see is how Samuel got worried And he made it a matter of prayer. The story continues in verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now, now let me pause the story there again because I want you to notice something very interesting. Even though this is just a little bit off our topic, but people have accused God of being a dictator for generations, and yet this story shows us just the opposite. God never forces people to do what's right. After we chose to rebel against him, he didn't force his way back into our lives. And that means that once you've made up your mind to do something, God will let you do it, even if it's something dumb. He doesn't let you do it without a warning, though. He basically says, okay, go ahead and try this. Go ahead and try your human government. Go ahead, emulate the Canaanites. But here's what's going to happen. Now, this is where the story gets really close to home. Listen to this in verse 11. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. In other words, Israel, if you go and get a king, you're going to get conscription. You'll get the draft. When a human government declares war, the whole country gets dragged into the mess. When the king wants to fight, you have to fight. Verse 12. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. Samuel says this, look, you can have a king, but you're going to get forced labor. Now, we don't exactly have forced labor in the Western world anymore, but we are compelled to work for the government whenever they come up with a new program. You have to fund it, whether you want to or not. You might do the work at your place of employment, but the government takes a portion of what you did by taking a portion of your income. They raise your taxes. And unless you do some really creative and criminal accounting, you don't have a choice. This is kind of a form of slavery. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that you don't pay your taxes because the Bible is clear about rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's. So, absolutely, pay your taxes. Just understand that it's a form of coercion. It's one of the consequences of human government. Now, now Samuel continues in verse 13. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. As it turns out, Samuel's prediction has been true of every single human government for all of history. So now, here in America and wherever you live, 
we have this plan in place where everybody has to buy government services. Here in America, the newest version of this is the health care law. And if you don't buy it, you face paying hefty fines and you might even face jail time if you refuse. It's being managed by the IRS, the taxation branch of government. So it fits the pattern that Samuel predicted. And again, please don't misunderstand me. I, I don't want this to be political. I'm not suggesting you should or shouldn't vote for this. And I'm not really trying to weigh the merits of the program itself. Because maybe you're a fan of the Affordable Care Act and maybe you're not. That's not my point. My only point is that people shouldn't be surprised when the government forces something on us. It's been the pattern forever. And we're living with it because way back when, all the way back at Eden, the human race rejected God. I'm not just talking the Israelites. I mean the whole human race rejected an intimate relationship with God when we rebelled against him. And in the absence of God, after we kicked him out of our lives, we have to organize ourselves somehow, and human government is the result. Now, I am not an anarchist. I am not suggesting you don't pay your taxes or disobey the government or anything like that because the Bible is crystal clear that God expects you to respect government and obey it unless you're being compelled to do something morally wrong. In that case, God would come first. But otherwise, we made this world we live in. We made this bed, and we have to sleep in it. I guess what I'm really driving at is the use of force by government. It's a necessary evil. This is the way that faulty human beings think they have to use coercion and deception in order to maintain order. I'm talking about this tendency we have to manipulate people to keep them in line. And in a sinful world, that might just be the way it has to be. And in a moment, what I'm going to do is compare that modus operandi. I'm going to compare human government with the model of an ideal government you find in the Bible. I'm going to ask the question, does God run his government with force? Some people think so. So we'll check it out, and I'll be back in just a moment. Life and its daily challenges can weigh us down, even when we have the best of intentions, leaving us with more questions than answers. Is it possible to have true peace and happiness in life? Are you searching for answers to this and other of life's most challenging questions? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you are looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7922 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online or on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like The Secret of Happiness and Is God Fair? You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Just before we went to the break, we asked a really important question. Does God use force to run his government? And I think we already know the answer, because in the story of Samuel and the choice of Israel's first king, God didn't force the issue. He didn't use his power to get his way. He just told the Israelites, listen, if you want a king, go ahead. If you want to rely more on human government than you do on me, then go your way. Just be warned that some unpleasant things are about to happen. And then God actually helps those people choose their king. 
he takes steps to mitigate the potential damage. He steps in and helps them find the best choice. God doesn't like what they're doing, but he doesn't stop it. And if you go all the way back to the story of human rebellion in general, the original story in the Garden of Eden, it's exactly the same. God gives us a warning about what will happen if we eat from the tree, but he doesn't stop us. You see, with God, you've always been free to do whatever you want. He has never, ever forced the situation. He always keeps us fully informed. I mean, if we want to be fully informed. And then he sets us free to make an informed choice, even if we're doing the wrong thing, even if our choice is completely the wrong one. So no, biblically speaking, God does not force people. Otherwise, everybody would just go to heaven. God would round us all up and force everybody in. And we know that's not true. God's kingdom is not built on force. God's kingdom is built on love. And I know that some people will point out that the Bible talks about tithing, giving 10% of your income to God. And what they do is compare tithing to taxes, which seems like a reasonable comparison when you first look at it, but it's not entirely accurate. I mean, stop paying your taxes and you go to jail. Stop paying tithe and you find out that's actually up to you. You're not going to lose your life. You're not going to lose your liberty. You're not going to go to jail. God's not going to hit you with a lightning bolt because you chose not to tithe. He simply tells you what you're missing out on by not cooperating with him in the area of your personal finances. And then he sets you free to do your own thing. At the end of the day, God doesn't force. He informs, he encourages, he blesses, but his government is absolutely different than anything you've ever experienced here on earth. And I know that doesn't exactly line up with what some people say about God, but then go to your Bible and read what it says. This is true. God is not force. You know, I actually believe the reason we keep hoping for something better is because we instinctively know that. We instinctively know that things could be better, that we could be living a better existence. We know something's wrong with this world, and we want something better. That's why we keep having elections, because we haven't given up hope. We keep hoping that we'll achieve something better. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes actually talks about God putting eternity in the human heart. And that's God's way of reminding you he still exists. It's his way of reminding you that we're unhappy with this world because it could be better. We're unhappy with human government because we know deep down that things used to be much better at some point in the past. And sure enough, if you look through Scripture, there's a reason we're holding out hope. There is something better just around the corner. Over and over again, God holds out the promise that he's going to fix what we've done. He's going to replace human government with one of his own. I mean, listen to this promise found in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel the prophet is actually shown God's end game. This is in verse 13 of Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. God's promise to you is that there is a time coming when we're not going to have to put up with this disappointment we call human government. 
He noticed how things go when we're in charge, so he set a date for a new administration that will never, ever need to be replaced. There will be no more elections, no more military coups, no more revolutions, just a kingdom that will never be destroyed. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, the Bible says, Revelation chapter 21. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Now that's a promise you can take to the bank. I mean, for now, we have to put up with this mess we made. And I can promise you there will be more broken promises, more unintended consequences, more disappointment, regardless of who gets elected. I mean, if you have sinful people in charge of a sinful world, what did you expect? This is exactly what God told us it would be. And and please, I'm not being fatalistic. I'm not asking you to drop out of civilization. That's not what I mean. I mean, don't you dare check out of the human race. God needs us all to participate. Somebody needs to be a light in this world. And of course we have to try. Just don't put all your hope on our efforts. Because that's where disappointment is born. Refuse to be shocked. Refuse to give up. And cling to the hope that God has planted in your heart. There is something better coming. No human being is going to solve everything, not even close. But the day is coming when God is going to blow the whistle and put a stop to the pain. He's going to step back in and take charge. And I guess in one way, that means there is an election going on for your heart. Right now, you have a choice to make. You can be part of that new kingdom when it comes, or you can keep putting your hope in human beings. But if I were you, I would pay attention to the words of the psalmist. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. I don't know about you, but that seems to me like a better way to live. For now, we live in human government. For now, we are lights in the world. We are salt of the earth, Jesus said. But there's a day coming when God promises to fix what ails us. Until next time, I'm Sean Boonstra, and thank you for listening to The Voice of Prophecy. Are you searching for answers to life's most challenging questions? Answers to help you make sense of the chaos in today's world. Answers to the deepest questions in life, like, How can I know that Jesus was real? Was he more than a man, and how do I even know the stories of his time on earth are true? How can I know that the Bible is something that I can believe today? And questions like, if the Bible is true, well, what happens next after this life? Is there really a heaven? And in this world of uncertainty, you might be wondering, is there actually a chance for true happiness in this life? Disappointments like illness and loss of employment can hang like clouds over our lives. Life's daily, routine challenges can be overwhelming, and even the things that once made us happy can begin to seem empty. Is it really possible to have a happy, contented life in such an uncertain world? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-7922, for your free Discover Bible Guides. 
study online at our website, BibleStudies.com, or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. At BibleStudies.com, you will find the Discover Bible Guides in nearly 50 languages, including Spanish, Japanese, Tagalog, and Russian. Now, this is a great resource for the family member or friend that you know is looking for answers but struggles with English. At BibleStudies.com, click on the interactive world map and find the language that you're looking for. At BibleStudies.com, you'll find answers in guides like A Second Chance at Life and Does My Life Really Matter to God? Answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. The major themes of the Bible come to life as we study together guides like When Jesus Comes for You and From Guilty Sinner to Forgiven Saint. And we have lessons just for the kids in your life. Your kids will love KidZone at BibleStudies.com. They'll enjoy the colorfully illustrated stories and interactive lessons in the 14 KidZone Bible Guides. And while you're online, be sure to visit us at VOP.com. At VOP.com, you'll find audio archives of this program, the latest ministry news, and resources to help you dig deep into God's Word. Begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com.